The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Church, let's take our Bible and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. What wonderful music today. Thank you so much to our praise team, praise band. Jason, thank you for leading today. So a wonderful uh, privilege that we have as a church to be able to have a congregation uh, so talented by God with His mercy and His grace. It's not our great ability, but it's the ability that the Lord gives us uh, to be able to um, worship together like this. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Verse number 9 through 20. Go ahead and just remain seated today. I'll try and, uh, every week to keep you on your toes. Sometimes I have you to stand, sometimes I don't. Uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's read together. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 9, down through verse number 20. Let me read this for you. I'll read out loud for our congregation, and you read silently in your copy of the Scriptures. So the Bible says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship... How working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children... So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, that is the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but are hostile to all men. And why is that? Hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved." With the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath of God has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. May the Lord count his blessing and cause his face to shine upon the reading of the word of the living God. It is both inerrant and infallible and inspired. It is the very words of God. Join me in a word of prayer as we enter in upon this time together. Our good father, we come to you now and we ask that you would help our hearts and minds to now focus upon your word. 
We've had a great morning, an opportunity to worship and, uh, Lord, to go to Bible study and listen to our uh, Sunday school class teacher open the word to us to share prayer requests, pray together, fellowship. We've been able to pray and to give and to sing now. And now, Lord, we bring ourselves to the breaking of the bread, the word of the living God. Your son said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so I pray now that you would give your servant clarity and power. We pray that the spirit of God would descend upon us for he is already present here, but we pray that every mind would be present to him. Now, Lord, I pray that you would awake and stir and save unbelievers by thy mighty power in the, in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I pray for my believing friends that are here today that we would learn from this text of Scripture how to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ so that we may disciple others and win the lost. We love you and we thank you and we bless you. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit of God. Amen. We bring ourselves to this text today. Uh, it is, uh, I want to draw your attention just to three call words here, that uh, three repetitions of a word that will break the text apart for you. So if you'll look at the beginning of verse number nine in your copy of the scriptures, you'll see, it'll say something like this, for you recall brethren or brothers, and that's just simply a generic word for church member. It means brothers and sisters, okay? So you'll see that in verse number nine, and then if you drop down to verse number 14, you'll see the repetition of it again, for you brethren, right? You see that in your, in your Bible, you brethren became imitators. And then if you'll drop down to verse number 17, you will see the final repetition of the same word, but we brethren or brothers and sisters or church members. So there is a three part repetition and it really breaks the text apart for us today. So what I'm going to do in the time that we have today is uh, I'm just going to begin uh, preaching and teaching uh, through these stages. And if I don't get all the way through, then the week after Easter, Easter will pick up again. Next uh, next weekend, of course, is our Easter weekend. I want to encourage all of you to come out. Friday at 6 o'clock, we'll have our Good Friday service in which we focus as a congregation upon the atonement of Christ. We'll take the Lord's Supper together. Then we'll have our Easter egg hunt on Saturday morning, reach out to our community. And then next Sunday, we will uh, worship uh, the Lord and be thankful for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll preach a standalone sermon on that not from uh, 1 Thessalonians. So let's look down here at this first section. Notice what he says here. For you recall, that, that is, he's saying here, you remember. I, I want you to think back about what you know of us. That is Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. He says, I want you to recall, brethren, and notice the two things, our labor and hardship. And then if you'll drop down, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So really what he's saying in this verse, verse number nine, he says, I want you to recall, brothers, our hard hard work and our gospel proclamation. If you're taking notes from verse number nine, that, that's simply what you would get from there. He says, I want you to recall our hard labor, our hard work, and our gospel proclamation. And then look at how he uh, gives a little bit extra here to our labor and our hardship. He says, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you. 
Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's not saying that every minister or every pastor should be bivocational. Although I want to say to you that it is a wonderful blessing for brothers all around the world to be in bivocational ministry where they're working at a trade or working in in, in, uh, a secular business and they're doing their work there. And at the same time, they're shepherding the flock of God. That is not at all what the Apostle Paul is doing here is that he is prescribing that. He is just simply saying saying, I want to demonstrate for you the love that I have for our church, that we didn't want to be a burden. We didn't want to be a weight on you. And so we begin working and toiling and tent making ourselves. And I want to say here to, uh, I'm trying to preach to all of us today. So if you're in this building today and whether you're young, middle-aged or old, and you're a gentleman and you say, you know what, maybe God might be calling me into the ministry. Maybe God might be calling me to proclaim the word of God. I want to say to you, being in gospel ministry is not not a substitute for being a hard worker. Amen, church? You ought to work hard. You ought to toil hard. You ought to do, hey, listen, you don't, you don't just jump right into the ministry. You ought to show yourself a hard worker. And the Apostle Paul says to these people, we love you. We care for you. We don't want to be a burden to you. And so we labored intensely. And not only did we labor with our hands, but we proclaimed the gospel of God to you. You know, our vision in this church is to proclaim the gospel and reflect the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand from your pastor today, how whether it's me or anything, anybody else or wherever you go, you understand this, that the primary responsibility of the pulpit and the primary responsibility of our lives as believers is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are to tell unbelievers that Jesus saves by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That he alone gives new life. He can wash away our sins. He can give us new life. He can save us. And so the responsibility here, he says to the brethren, I want you to recall how we were among you. That we worked hard and we preached the word of God and we preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to say something to you. The Apostle Paul might be saying to the congregation, hey, remember us as your leaders and pastors. But I think that all of us in here today, maybe we should not put that so arm length away, but we should say, hey, listen, if, if God's expectation is for his leaders to work hard and to preach the gospel or share the gospel, our responsibility ought to be hard workers and faithful people in our jobs and what we do And that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our responsibility as a church, all of us, not just me, not just Jamie, not just Mark, but this week when we go out of here, whether you're a youth, whether you're in our children's program, whether you're in our uh, a senior in our church or anywhere in between, your responsibility this week is to be a hard worker at the tasks that God has put in front of you to labor diligently, to be faithful to him and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And that might look like you for you inviting somebody to come to our Easter service next Sunday that they might hear the gospel and be saved. But notice in verse number 10, he not only says that, I want you to recall that this is what we did, brethren. Verse number 10, look at here. He says, you are witnesses and so is God. I dashed off here to the side. Does your life bear under close inspection? 
Now you see, I'm preaching to myself today because the Apostle Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they're talking about leadership. They're saying, hey, listen, uh, you are witnesses of our life and God is witnesses of our life. But I want to share that in a church community, okay? I want to share the burden so nobody gets away today. Does your life, the kind of Christian life that you're living, does it bear up under close inspection? I would imagine that there are some people here today that you look like a Christian on the outside. You say the right things, hold the right Bible, wear the right clothes, but you might not be too Christianly on the inside. Jesus told a bunch of people one time, he said, you look like whitewashed sepulchers. Translation, you look like beautiful cemetery plots. You're full of dead men's bones on the inside. And I just want to ask you, Does your life bear under close inspection? He says, the Apostle Paul, he says, you're our witnesses and God is our witness. What about your life? Do you know that the brothers and sisters in this room, we're witnesses of your life and God is witnesses of your life. How does it hold up? How does it measure up? Are you faithful to the Lord? Are you faithful to read the word of God? Are you faithful to pray a few times a week for yourself and your family and your church and the lost? Are you faithful to give uh, to the Lord faithfully, generously to the operating work of your, of your local church? Do you give? Do you share the gospel? Do you serve people? Do you live the kind of Christian life that Jesus lived? Look here at the text. He says in verse number 10, he says, you're witnesses and so is God. But now look at these. Uh, you'll notice in verse 10 and verse number 11, and really all throughout First and Second Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is quite prone to give like three adjectives or three descriptions in a row. In fact, he's, he's all about these threes. All right. Just look at verse number 10. He says, you're witnesses and so is God. How devoutly, right? That is, that is uh, how holy how separated before the Lord, how devoutly, how uprightly, that is in righteousness and in the right way and blamelessly. That is that the people that are looking around that we can be an example to our church and we can be example to unbelievers. So in a holy way, in a right way, and in a blameless way, we behave toward you believers. How do you behave toward other believers in the church? Let me, let me see if I can stop preaching and start meddling just a little bit. How do you behave toward other believers in the church that you don't like? Pastor, I love everybody here. Sure you do. Do you behave toward one another devoutly, in a holy way, in a righteous way, and in a blameless way? Do you talk about each other? Do you, do you gossip about each other? Do you assume motives on each other? Or do you always assume the best in another brother or sister? Is the speech that you have for one another uplifting and exhorting and encouraging? Do you esteem others in this room better than yourself Or do you seek to put people down? See, the Apostle Paul says to the congregation, I want you to remember that me and Sylvanus and Timothy and the rest of the leaders here, we're not perfect, but we're trying the best that we can to behave toward all the believers in the congregation 
devoutly, that is a holy way, in an upright way, and in a blameless way, so that we are encouraging you and loving you and building you up, and we're not gossiping about you and assuming bad motives and tearing you down. We're seeking to build unity with all that we have and not tear each other apart. But now I I turn it on you and I ask, listen, if that's the responsibility, if that verse is the responsibility of the leaders of this church, is it not true that that should be the responsibility of your life before God? I think God wants us to live in this kind of way. Look back down, if you would, at verse number 11. You'll notice Paul gets back on these three things again. He says, just as you know, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring, or the word might be to charge... So we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Let me just take that apart for a minute. First of all, he says how we were exhorting. That is, that we were, uh, we were, we were talking to you about, maybe the best way to understand exhortation is to challenge people with the word in an encouraging way. We were exhorting, we were, we were talking about how good Jesus is and how good his church is. You know, I heard one brother tell me one time, he said, you know, when I come to Emmanuel, of course there's always some rhetoric of, hey, did you see the game or, Hey, did you see that? Or, Hey, what'd you do? Did you go to the beach or do this this weekend? We do have discussion like that, but brothers and sisters, when we come to the house of God and when we see each other, there ought to be a gospel centered, Christ centered, word centered conversation about us where we're exhorting each other to live holy lives. You ought to be asking each other, Hey, did you read anything in the word of God this week that touched your heart and changed your life or caused you to think differently? What are you reading? What are you studying? Uh, did you have an opportunity to share the gospel? Uh, tell me, talk to me about your prayer life. And for most of us in this room, you would be offended if another brother or sister asked you how your reading life is coming or how your prayer life is coming or how your evangelism life is coming. You'd be offended at that. But the Apostle Paul says, no, no, no. We ought to be exhorting one another to live holy lives and good lives, to be reading the word and to be praying, to be studying, to be sharing the gospel and serving each other. These ought to be good things. Don't let it be defensive. Don't let it be something that challenges you. Let it be something that urges you to be more like Jesus Christ. Not only exhorting, he says, look here in the text, he says, we were exhorting and encouraging. Hey, see where I am here. <laughs> you, ought, you ought to be the kind of people, we ought to be the kind of church that is encouraging. You know, in the way that we talk to each other and the way that we talk about each other. And I, I just want to, I, I want to encourage you <laughs> to encourage other people. And do that through text, do that through email, do that through snail mail, do it face to face. You want to you see something funny? Just in the next week, find a few people who aren't your wife or your husband. And now don't get weird about it, all right? Because it can get weird. But look somebody else in the eye in this church and say something to them that's encouraging. And keep eye contact with them. You know, you, you want to know what will happen? You will struggle to do that, and they will struggle to look you in the eye. We live, now listen, I could go off on this for a year, uh, for a long time. 
we live in a world of social media where we, where we want everything to be there, but we don't actually want to acknowledge it. But there is something real about human life-on-life contact to look another human being in the face and to say something affirming to them. And I want to tell you, as your shepherd, because I have my my hands, my life, my, my thoughts on many of you in this room, there are many people in this room who are hurting and tired and weak spiritually and emotionally. And you don't have any idea how life-giving it could be for you to just look them in the eye and say, look, I, I don't know you all that well. I know you're in the Sunday school across from me. I, I, I just want to tell you that I love you as a brother or sister in Christ. And this week I'm going to be praying for you. To look some of our children's workers that are back there in the nursery even now, just to, just to say on your way out today, not in passing, but look them in the eye and say, thank you for what you did today so that we could worship and listen to the word of God. Thank you for ministering to these kids. Be life-giving in your encouragement. Exhortation, encouragement, and then look at the third one he gives. And imploring. The word here, imploring or challenging each one of you. Man, the Apostle Paul knows how to dig underneath the skin here. He, he, he really is saying, listen, in a humble, loving, not a prideful, arrogant kind of way, but you ought to be challenging each other to live godly lives. And that means that when we see brothers or sisters who are falling off from uh, coming to church or we see them falling off in the way that they're living their life, and we, that, that means we don't just talk about, about them behind closed doors and say, well, I hadn't seen so-and-so here in a while. Let me tell you something. If you say to somebody, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while, and you do nothing about it, something's wrong with you. Right? Yeah. Why don't you call them? They're your brother. They're your sister. They're your family. I mean, it'd be like, you know what I mean? Like, it'd be like, you know, you leave, you leave one of your kids at the McDonald's, right? And you get to the house and be like, man, where's Johnny? I don't know. I think I still, he's still eating the chicken McNuggets, you know? You're like, well, that's good. Let's finish the meal. What do you do? You put everything down and you go get them. Why don't you do that? At least try. Talk to them. Right? Challenge them. Hey, brother, what's going on? Hey, sister, I, I see this going on in your life. Talk to me. Where are you? What's, what's going on there? Right. That's what the Apostle Paul says that we ought to be doing with our lives. And, and then look at how he finishes us off. Lest any of us in here get a big head on our shoulders and think that we are God's gift to the world for spirituality. <laughs> I am the exhorting, encouraging, and imploring one. And I major in imploring and challenging people, right? Lest you get like that. Look at what the Apostle Paul does. He says, as a father with what would with his own children. See? You see, the idea behind exhorting and encouraging and even challenging one another is that we do it with a family kind of love. We do it as a father does his children. That there's grace and truth and love wrapped up in that. And that we, we love uh, the other person sometimes even more than we love ourselves. 
and we're seeking to bring them into the family and fellowship and give grace to them. So when we exhort, when we encourage, and even when we challenge, we do so in a way that is family-driven. And then look at verse number 12. So that, why do they do that? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into His kingdom and His glory. What is the purpose for our church being involved in this kind of ministry? where we're encouraging and exhorting and imploring each other and, and, and seeking to be unified and to grow together and to love each other and to be... Why, what is the purpose behind that? So that all of us may walk, live, live lives that are worthy of the gospel, right? We might walk worthy of the God who has called us into His kingdom and into His glory. Do you want everybody else in these pews to live a right and a good and a holy life before God? You should. What are you doing to bring that about in their life? Could you just answer that in your own mind for a minute? What are you doing in your church life to help bring about holiness and righteousness and goodness in the lives of other people? Here. Maybe that would be just good for us to think about this week. All right, look at verse number 13. This is important. This finishes out the first section. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Let me just say a couple of things from that, from that verse. The Apostle Paul thanks God for the church because when they heard him preach the Word of God, instead of just saying, oh, that's Paul's opinions. That's, Paul wants to do that's a good hand for him, but I'm going to do my own thing. When they heard him preach, they said, this is not the Word of men. This is the Word of God, and we'll act on it. Brothers and sisters, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I'll never be that. But I'm trying my best to be as close to this book as possible. So let me ask you, right now today, are you going to receive this sermon as the words of men or the Word of God? And will you act on it in your life? There's a question for you. Will you be the same person that you've always been coming in and coming out and coming in and coming out? Or will you look in the areas of your life that need changing, that need holiness, that need righteousness, that need to pour out into other people? And will you say today, that's what I'm going to do. In so much as you do that, you'll either receive it as the words of men or you receive it as the word of God. I will, I will know, I want you to notice this at the end of verse number 13. It's a little interesting conundrum here, but the gospel writers, the, the, the rest of the New Testament writers, they have no problem at all putting side by side the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of human beings. It says here that the Word of God, which also performs its work, that is that the Word of God will do its work. <laughs> it is the one that works on our souls. And at the same time, it does that work in those who believe. 
And so though, as we receive the Word of God, the Word of God is doing work upon our souls to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, I can see I'm not going to get this whole thing, so let me just do this. Look at verse 14. Here's the second one. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen. I simply would say in verse 14 down through verse number 16, the idea here is that they became imitators and they were able to endure under suffering and tribulation. And I just want to encourage you as a believer, whatever you're walking through in life, whatever hardships, whatever tribulation, whatever pain, whatever you're going through right now, whether it's from the outside or whether it's from the inside, be faithful to Jesus. Walk with Him. Don't give up on Him. Seek to live a life of endurance and patience and holiness before the Lord, and He will reward you. It is worth it to live your life for Jesus than to live life apart from Jesus. It is worth it to live a life in suffering with Christ than it is to live a life without suffering without Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? I wonder today... As we listen to that song, Word of God Speak, I believe that the Word of God is speaking every time that it goes forth. And it's fallen on your ears right now, so what will you do with it? Will you seek to love and be kind to all of the people in this church? Is there some area of your life right now where you you know... You're not walking close to the Lord, but you need to. I want to encourage you right where you are to make that decision. Say, Lord, this has got to change. And I need your help. And I surrender myself to you. I want to encourage you to do that. He loves you. He'll help you. He'll walk with you. Maybe you're going through a season of suffering and hardship and pain. Don't you quit on God. Don't look back from the plow. Keep looking forward. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He'll minister to your heart. He'll draw you through your suffering to be closer conformed to Him. And in a few months or a few years, or when you step into the next life, you'll be able to say it was worth it all. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.